You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Now, if you have your copy of scripture, let's turn to Acts 2. Dare we turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 1? And if you will, please stand with me one more time, and I promise you I'll let you sit for a little while, okay? Acts chapter 2. Well, I don't know. It's Acts chapter 2. You might want to get excited about this. I don't know. But let's take a look and see what God has to say to us from this very powerful passage of Scripture as we see the church literally birthed and coming alive. So let's hear it. This morning it says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And quite frankly, the church has been asking this question for 2,000 years. What does this mean? But others, listen to this, mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Well, I want to tell you, the world may mock us, brothers and sisters, but if we are filled with the Spirit, we are unstoppable in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we pray that no matter what the world says, we will be filled with your Spirit and proclaiming the name of Jesus with every ounce of energy we have and with our last breath. God, help us to be a church that is together in the gospel, united by the glue that the Holy Spirit provides. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to take a few minutes this morning and share with you how the Holy Spirit glues us together. I want to warn you, though, that the passions of our heart, if we follow just the passions of our heart, we will find ourselves in a lonely place. But if a person is driven by passion for God, here's what that will lead them to. When you are driven by a passion for God, it will not drive you to a lonely place, not at all. It will drive you to a loving fellowship. When God is at work in your heart, he is always going to drive you to a loving fellowship. And let me just say, that's what the church should be. Is the church always filling or, or, or rising up to that level? No, it isn't always. But the fact is, when God starts stirring your heart, he is going to move you in the direction, in the direction of fellowship with other people. Let me put it to you this way. Love grows. Love grows in your heart when it is aimed upward in worship. Love grows 
when it is aimed outward in fellowship. Love dies when it's focused on yourself. Now, I want you to realize that what I'm saying is countercultural. It goes against the narrative of the day. The narrative of the day is to love yourself. But I want to tell you, that will take you to a lonely, dreary place. Loving God and loving others is how we can experience the beautiful plan that God has for us. We know from last week that the apostles were prayed up. They had obeyed Jesus' command in chapter 1, verse 4. We saw in our passage last week, there in those uh, chapter 1, 12, 13 through 14 passages, how they went to the upper room and they waited and they prayed. The disciples were prayed up, and now we're about to see them powered up. We believe that prayer is powerful, and it is that prayer that first brought them all together in one place. Look at verse 1. That's the key. They were all together in one place. Don't miss this point. The prayer services of the early church, the first miracle that occurred was that they came together as one, united for the cause of Christ. Today, working together is harder than it's ever been. We can be in the same room with people we love, and yet our telephones, our phones, can put us in isolation. I'm seeing it in my own home. I, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Those little phones are addictive, aren't they? They are powerful forces. Just that alone, but we have other things that are driving us apart. Even when we're together, there are so many things that are driving us apart. I'm not against technology, but I'm telling you, anything that's keeping us from being glued together in the Spirit is something that we need to pay attention to and be careful with. Only the Holy Spirit can divert our attention away from isolation to unification, I want to just ask you right now, many times in a room this big with so many people in it, I know that many of you are coming to church today. You've come to church, and when we announce the benediction, you'll be off to your day, going to watch a football game or something like that. I don't know. But let me just say this. One of the things I'm noticing in the church today is if you only have this moment, it is easy to find a place to sit down, have a couple seats around you, and be very isolated even in this room. I want to encourage you to realize that the Spirit wants to bring you together with the people of God. Only the Spirit, operative through the gospel, can span the gap between human hearts. We have to be willing to open our hearts to other people, which is a dangerous thing, no doubt. But when the Holy Spirit gets involved, it serves as a glue, joining human hearts together for a coalition in Christ. Now let me just say this, and I hope you'll hear my heart here. I am, I've said it last week, I'm going to say it again. I don't have any problem with you having opinions about church or theology or anything else. I think we all are going to have opinions. But what scares me is, is that in most churches today, we have churches filled with people who are filled with opinions, but not filled with the Holy Spirit. When we put our thoughts and our desires and our drives, our passions, when we put those first, I'm going to tell you the, the one thing that will be a casualty is unity. What will be a casualty is being filled with the Spirit. We're going to have to realize that to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we must not allow our desires to get in front of God's desires. 
What are the things that are causing us to not be unified? We need gospel glue. And I believe we must fight hard to, to stay together and allow the Spirit to work. In our text today, we're going to see two main reasons why the church gets broke apart. Two reasons why we lack unity. And we're going to begin with a discussion about the external divisions. We'll look at that. The majority of our text helps us see that picture, what it is that divides us in external ways. But I want to spend some good time considering the internal realities that keep us apart, that do not bring us together. They're very important. And once we've gone through all those things, I believe we can then see what it's going to take for us to experience the power of the Holy Spirit together. We want God to move in our midst. We want to experience Him in worship. We want to be a part of life-changing ministry. But that's only going to happen when the true miracle happens, and that is God joins our heart together. I know that many Baptists are scared to death of Acts chapter 2. I know that when we look at it, it, is, it brings up all these questions of, of amazing, miraculous events. I want to say this. This chapter is nothing to be afraid of. All it's showing us is how God breaks down barriers. And I want you to realize this, that uh, tongues of fire and the wind blowing and all those things that we see in this passage, the greatest miracle of all is that people this diverse all came together as one. The biggest miracle is unity. And let us never forget it. The early church was successful because they were unified by the Spirit in the name of Jesus, and that will make us able to reach the world with the gospel. Filled with the Spirit, loving Jesus with all of our hearts, that makes us unstoppable. Let's take a look, though, at what keeps us from that powerful, powerful force. And the first thing we look at are external divisions. Now, if you look at verses 5 through 12, you'll see what I'm talking about. But let me say this. There is one God who speaks with one voice. We need to say that right out of the gate. Regardless of our creed, culture, or the color of our skin, we all have one God. I mention that because if you look at this passage, it is so clear that the gospel spans the gap of every ethnicity known to man at the time. That is not an accident. God wants us to see that the church from the very beginning was not just in one area for one people group, for one language. It has always been for the entire world. Church, why do we spend so much time and money on missions? Because we believe that this passage and so many others are telling us that we need to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's a big job, don't you agree? And a big job like that can only transpire when we are united in the Spirit. Language and culture abounds in these verses 5 through 12. We can see that these people had come together on the day of Pentecost. They had come from all over the world, tribes and tongues, people who otherwise would not be together. In fact, some have acknowledged, and rightfully so, that what we see here in Acts 2 is sort of a reversal of the Tower of Babel, where everything gets torn to pieces in that part of the story, that part of the Bible, it is in this part of the story that we see everything coming together. And this is a beautiful picture of what the church should be, but over the years, the church has lost this, and we become too focused on things, people, uh, cultural ideas that are just like us. 
it's not the way it should be. But when we surrender control to the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, unity is possible. Look at this name of all these nations here. As I understand it, they start in the east and move to the west. I don't know if there's any significance in that, but that's kind of how it goes. I think that what the scriptures are telling us is, is from east to west, from north to south, God is bringing the world together. What were they doing there on the day of Pentecost? Well, the day of Pentecost was one of the three great festivals of the Hebrew people. Shavuot is what the Hebrew people called it, and it, it celebrated uh, the uh, coming in of the crops, the harvest. So that works out pretty good for a revival. If you think about a harvest, doesn't that work out pretty good? So that's what's going on here. Now, in the, that day, uh, archaeologists now think that the city of Jerusalem could have had around 80,000 inhabitants at, a, at the time of Jesus. Around 80,000. That's a pretty good-sized city, but still not even as big as Springfield. So just for, for reference, 80,000 people. And yet, it seems like Peter is speaking to a big crowd. Like, how is it possible that so many people are in one place? Well, during the festivals, as many as half a million souls could be present. History teaches us, and the archaeological record seems to show, and the historical record shows that at these festivals, half a million people would flood into this area, and they would come, as you see here in the text, this wasn't unusual, from all around the world. Now, it's interesting that all of these people would have had some interest in the Hebrews' faith, the Jewish faith. They had come together, so they had that much in common, but otherwise, they would have been as diverse a crowd as you could put together in that day or in ours. But God was at work. God was at work to bring these people together. Now, I want you to think about a harvest for just a moment. In many ways, Jesus had prepared his disciples for just such a moment. Jesus had said to his disciples in John 4, 35, the fields are ripe for the harvest. Jesus had told his disciples to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew 9, 38 and in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks of Jesus as being the firstborn of resurrection and the first fruits, meaning that there is a harvest to come, a resurrection harvest. From beginning to end in the New Testament, we see that everything is pointing to a harvest. This Old Testament festival that finds its roots in Numbers 28, 26 was all along, I believe, pointing to a time when God would fall on this earth and begin to unite the nations. Before Jesus came, I think it's fair to say that the Hebrew faith was pretty localized in the Hebrew world. And yet, notice, even though when we read the Old Testament, it looks like God was just focusing on the Hebrew people, all of these people from all around the world had heard about Yahweh from somebody. They had come because somebody had told. They were brought together in one place to hear more about Yahweh. They were ready to hear a word from the Lord. And then God shows up. He shows up with the power of the Spirit. And he begins to break down barriers. One of the barriers you see, first of all, is the language barrier. All those different people would have spoke different languages. Good men, we see there in verse 5, devout men from every nation under heaven. There would have been different languages and different cultural context. If you've traveled much in the world, you know how hard it is when nobody else speaks your language. Now imagine if I'm in this room here preaching to you, and in this room, I'm assuming most of you, uh, you know, your, your English is, is your primary language, but imagine there being some 15 or 20 different languages in this place. 
it's hard enough for me to communicate with you folks in one language. Now, what's really funny about this, and, and those of us who were raised a little bit uh, south, you know, and we have our accents and things of that nature, I want you to notice in this passage that the people who are hearing Peter speak are amazed because they're hearing the gospel in their own language. So just an aside, this particular miracle looks different to me than what we will see in 1 Corinthians. But nevertheless, notice what it's doing here is it's allowing Peter to preach a sermon that everybody can hear and understand. And what's so funny is that the people are like, those Galileans are speaking and we understand them. Now, let me just make something plain here. To call someone a Galilean was calling them a redneck. Does that communicate? So here's the deal. It's kind of like those guys are speaking this amazing dialect that's really, you know, hillbilly, okay? Just think the Ozarks for just a moment here and how it can be, or in the boot hill, um, or even further south, those, those accents can be really thick, right? They had this thick accent, and yet God was speaking through them. That's why the people were bewildered, verse 6, amazed, astonished, because each was hearing them, the disciples speaking in his own language. How is this, they say, that we each hear, verse 8, each of us in our own native language, and furthermore, all were amazed, verse 12, and perplexed, saying to one another, what does all this mean? Well, let me answer that question, what does it mean? God loves every nation and he'll do anything to save the nations and he'll use rednecks like us to reach the nations. God has no limits, church. God has no limits. If we will be united in the power of the Holy Spirit, God can take us from humble beginnings and use us to change the world. Don't be worried about the external difficulties and differences. If we are faithful to Jesus, we will be able to be cross-cultural witnesses of the truth. Because I want to tell you, one of the beautiful things I've noticed about the gospel is that no culture has a monopoly on it. The gospel translates perfectly into every language. God has made that possible. He has made the path there. We just need to walk that path. And the church cannot walk that path if it's filled with opinions and fighting and worried about things that are here and inward focused. That cannot be the way. We want to see the mighty works of God, as described in verse 11, and that only happens when we come together. God understands diversity better than we do. I'll tell you that. He knows we are built different and need different stimuli to find inner peace. But when the Holy Spirit works... Our differences will no longer divide us. In fact, when the Spirit works, our differences will make us stronger. I believe this. I believe that it is okay. It, is, it should be sought after in this congregation. There is nothing wrong with differences of opinion, with different views on the world. We don't need people to be cookie cutter in their thinking. But at the end of the day, we put all of our thinking aside. We submit to the word of God and we ask the spirit to bring us together. The gospel mission is more important than our opinions. The things that divide us most often are petty. We do not want to be divided. We do not want to allow the external differences to keep us from the gospel message. The gospel is our common ground when the Holy Spirit is our glue. Just keep that in mind. When we have the gospel in common, when that is our focus, then I believe the Holy Spirit can keep us glued together. 
But I want to tell you, I think that the bigger, the bigger problem is not external differences. Our culture today really wants us to focus on external differences. If you'll notice, even those who are talking about diversity in the most positive ways, when you really hear them talk, they think that's the biggest issue. And I understand that in our culture, uh, different cultures, different backgrounds, different life experiences are things we cannot ignore. If you really want to touch people's hearts in the name of Jesus, you need to get to know people. And, and those are the external differences that we have to work very hard at to, to love people well. Don't make excuses. Don't give me a line. Do everything you can to get to know your neighbors and to love them well in the name of Jesus. I'm noticing that the, the, the Lord is bringing the nations to Springfield, Missouri. Around me in my neighborhood are people from all over the world. And I believe that that is our mission field. Our initial mission field is just all around us. But don't let the differences of culture and language be a barrier. Trust that the Lord will help you and give you wisdom. But I'm here to tell you, it is inner brokenness that is the bigger problem. The church will not overcome external divisions until we take our inner brokenness seriously. And I want you to notice what I'm saying there. I'm not talking about their inner brokenness. I'm talking about your inner brokenness. We are not going to be able to be the witnesses we need to be if we're not first considering our sin, our shortcomings. Language and culture can keep us apart, no doubt, but so can inner complexities. I want to tell you, I've spent a little time over the years counseling people and helping people. People are complicated. They are. Your heart is complicated. And let me say this, your path and my path in life are very different. I know that. Even those of us raised in the same country with the same language and similar cultural values have different varieties of brokenness. The person sitting in the pew next to you may be alike to, to you, very similar to you in almost every way, but their heart is different than your heart. And the only way that we're going to overcome the fact that all of our hearts are different and broken in different ways is if the Holy Spirit is given complete reign over our hearts. We all bear scars on our souls from the past. This variation in brokenness, the different ways our hearts have been shaped by pain, makes us more diverse on the inside than we are on the outside. That's, the, that's what I want you to get a hold of here. Our culture talks about external differences, but I think the scriptures are pointing us to something deeper. The unique collection of scars your soul bears are known only to you and to God. Now, we may have a faithful spouse that we have shared many things for or with over the years, but I want to say this. Even those who know you best don't know every jagged edge. Every broken heart is different and thus, it cuts different. I was thinking about this earlier. If you give me a, a, like a, a stone or something that I can break, and it makes a sharp edge, every stone I break, every edge is going to have a different level of sharpness and a different shape. I think every one of our souls is like that. When something has happened in your life, something caused your heart to break in some way, the jagged edge is different. Our brokenness can be the fuel of our bitterness. I believe if we are not careful, this is why so many people who are professing Christians do very little witnessing and are of very little use to the kingdom because their brokenness has, has gravitated into bitterness. And when our hearts are bitter, we do not have capacity to share the sweetness of the gospel. 
The bitterness can pour out of us towards one another. It can cause us to have friction with our family, with our friends, much less with those that we don't really know. I want to tell you, the more broken you are, yes, it's going to impact those nearest to you, but it's also going to give you more of a desire to just not even care about the brokenness of other people. Now, where do I get all this? Look at verse 13. One verse. Verse 13. But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. I want you to see that word mocking. Mockery. A sad reality that we are going to have to wrestle with in this world is that when God begins to touch hearts, there are some hearts that refuse to be touched. And when those hearts are hardening to the gospel, they will quickly gravitate towards this idea of mockery. If we are going to share the gospel in this culture, we cannot expect to get a free pass. Here, when the Holy Spirit filled Peter and the early church, they were still running up against mockery. We cannot be afraid of those who hate us. We cannot be afraid of those who are going to say nasty things about us. Realize they are just expressing their brokenness in different ways. Their bitterness probably has nothing to do with you, but you are there to maybe blunt that a little bit, to, to, to soften that blow a little bit, that you can be used by God. Don't be afraid, though. Don't be afraid. Don't allow the mockers to keep you from sharing the gospel. I think many people mock people of faith because down deep they know if they're wrong, they're in trouble with God. And, and, and so notice this, that pain is real, that spiritual pain. I hope what you hear me saying is this, that we must love even those who are antagonistic, those who are against not only us, but more importantly, against the gospel. We need to realize they're going to accuse us of being drunk on false tales and false hopes. Notice verse 13, they accuse the church of being filled with new wine. What's funny is, they were right. Now, not in the sense that they meant it, of course. They, they weren't drunk. They hadn't been drinking. But Jesus had talked during his ministry about his disciples drinking a new wine. Another way to think of new wine is sweet wine. New wine is sweet. And so the gospel provides something sweet for bitter souls. These Christians were filled with the new wine of the gospel, which means instead of a bitter message of destruction and death to the world, they were bringing a sweet message of gospel hope. Too often the church, we in the pulpit will tell people what's wrong with them. We'll tell them all the ways that they are missing the boat. That's true. But what we are called to do is to always share the new wine, the sweetness of the gospel with the world. The world's not going to be nice. The world is, is, is not going to be inviting at first. But there's something about you and I being filled with the sweetness of Jesus that'll change everything. My cry out to each one of you is to let the Spirit begin to press into your heart. We're all broken in some way. Now let me ask you, has that brokenness made you bitter? If so, realize that that bitterness will always impede your witness. But if you have the sweetness of the gospel, your brokenness, though it is still there, will not cut. 
Lost people have sharp elbows, sharp edges. Those who do not know Jesus, we can't take the edge off shattered, sin-shattered souls. Only the gospel can smooth over rough edges. We have to be filled with the gospel because it's the only way that those rough edges in the world are going to be smoothed over. When I was thinking through this, I remember when my kids were little, in our home we had in front of our fireplace, it was built up a little bit, had a piece of like stone, marble, something, and it had the sharpest edges. I mean, whoever put that right in the middle of my living room just didn't care about my children, okay? Sharp edges. And you know how kids are running around all the time? Uh, and I was always afraid. So we put those, those uh, you know, foam things over those sharp edges, right? To keep the kids from hurting themselves. And I just, I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ helps us in that way. We all have sharp edges. But when we let the gospel take over, those sharp edges and, and very sharp corners no longer can do damage. You see, these internal issues are important. Inner brokenness is keeping so many of us out of the witnessing game, so many of us out of mission, so many of us out of the blessings that God has for us. Yes, when we take the gospel out into the world, we have language barriers, we have cultural barriers, no doubt. We have all kinds of things, diversity, of people that look upon us as being, uh, you know, full of new wine and crazy or whatever. We have so many obstacles, but ultimately, the greatest obstacle is right here. The Holy Spirit needs to take over your heart. The Holy Spirit needs to soften you. And the bitterness from your past, I, I know that there are ways we can work through that, but I want you to know, it really is, I believe, you get help from your brothers and sisters in Christ and you believe in the healing power of the gospel. It's both and. We come together in fellowship to, to help one another. And I know iron sharpens iron, but sometimes we come together not to get sharper, but so that we can soften up a bit. And I think we've often thought about being sharper, but I'm, I'm beginning to believe that most of us are sharp enough. Our sarcasm and wit may be a little too sharp sometimes. We need to soften up. We need the Spirit to soften us up. Now, I don't want to say that the Spirit needs to work you over, but some of you probably need to get worked over by the Holy Spirit. We need to let God begin to have complete control of our lives. Ask God right now, where is bitterness in my life? And wherever he reveals it to you, ask him to take it away and replace it with his sweetness. That's what we need. Not only to be unified as a people of God, but to be on mission for God. Unity and revival Go hand in hand. The church is a gathering of people who have, by the Holy Spirit's power, overcome their external differences of culture and language and their inner brokenness caused by sin. The result of this external and internal healing is unity. Unity comes when we are healed outside and inside. Note chapter 2, verse 1. The people were all together in one place. Unity preceded spiritual filling. Notice this, we can say, as we often do, Baptists and Pentecostals alike, we'll often say, we need revival. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us. Well, let me just say this, I agree with that, but let me say the order is, may God unify our hearts. Because that's where it starts. God brings his people together and unifies our hearts, and then he pours out his Spirit. 
We need the Spirit to rest upon us, brothers and sisters. We need the incredible power of God. And look at verses 3 and 4. We see that, that these disciples were able to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were able to communicate with lost and hurting people. Verses 3 and 4. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on, notice this, on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is important. I wanted to highlight all the plural forms in those sentences because it wasn't just Peter that was filled with the Spirit. They were all filled with the Spirit. Revival isn't going to come with me being excited on Sunday mornings in this pulpit. That's not enough. We all must be on fire for Jesus. This church needs to be a unified whole, filled with the Spirit, believing in the power of God, and preaching Jesus everywhere we go. All saints have this power. Few access it. You all have a role to play. You, me, all of us, within the church and without. But we must let the Spirit take over. The power unleashed on the world at Pentecost, I believe, is still viable today. I believe that this power of being able to reach people, which is what's going on here. Don't get caught up in the languages and the tongues and all that because that's how God used that group of people at that day. If we need that again, he'll show us. But the key here is, is that what we need most in the moment, God will give us. If we're unified, if our hearts are truly beating for God in worship, we love God and we worship him and we love people, God will allow us to have the power of the Spirit. And when the Spirit fills us, every barrier is broken down, every spiritual stronghold is removed. The United Church, anointed with the Spirit's power, has no limits. When a diverse group of broken people surrender to this power, they are unstoppable. So in this room... I don't think most people would say this is a diverse room externally. But what they don't know is how diverse this room is internally. I can't see your heart. I don't know your pain. But I know that Jesus does. And I know that the excuses that you've been making over the years are hollow. I want to ask you, is there a role that God is calling you to play as a unifier in this church? Will you let the Spirit reveal to you what actions you need to take to bring reconciliation and forgiveness? Every one of us have a role to play in gospel unity and the glue of the Holy Spirit He wants us, each one of us, as the Lord right now convicts your heart of a word said in anger, um, an issue from the past, something that has left a taste of bitterness in your mouth and in the mouths of others, don't let it stay that way. Don't let it remain. Those are impediments. Those are hurdles to revival. So what does it look like? What are the results of a glued together church? Well, I've seen plenty unglued. What does it look like when the church is glued together? The Lord gave me this. Broken people, healed by the Holy Spirit, bringing healing to broken people. That's what it looks like when we're glued together. Broken people, healed by the Holy Spirit, bringing healing 
to broken people. Do you long for that? Let me say that the first step is salvation in Jesus. Many of these people, 3,000 in fact, as we're going to find out, accepted Jesus that day and were saved. And then the Spirit began to unite and heal the people and bring them together in what we know of as the church. In this, in this room, I'm praying that God will save you if you do not know him, save you from your sins. And then, those of you who have been saved from your sins, but since then have been broken by this world, internal bleeding of the heart, that God will show you where the wound is and what you can do to be healed. God is bringing us together as broken sinners to bring peace and hope and salvation to a broken world. Don't stop that. Don't be a stumbling block to that. Let the Spirit glue your heart and my heart together. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.